Welcome back to Dangerous Rhetoric. This is episode 105. Before we jump into it, please like, comment, share, subscribe, all the things that help us continue doing this. And if you really want to help us continue doing this, please uh, donate some money. We would be happy to take your money from you. <laughs> With all of that said, as usual, today we're joined by another exciting guest. Um, we've been very lucky with the guests we've been getting on this show, and we're very grateful to all of them who take the time to speak with us. We are speaking with Tara Lee Rodas, who became quite well known as a whistleblower who approached Project Veritas while working within the Council of the Inspectors General and Integrity and Efficiency. And she volunteered to assist the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services with the processing of unaccompanied migrant children and was deployed to, to the emergency intake site in Panoma, California. And we're going to talk about all of that and what Tara realized while she was there and the things that um, she later talked to James O'Keefe and Project Veritas about. Tara, thank you for joining us. We really appreciate this. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate that you all want to shine a light on government-sponsored, taxpayer-funded child trafficking. It's it's crazy. I remember when your story broke in November, I'm, I was just like, wow, this is nuts. This is nuts that this is actually happening under the American people's nose and how many people don't know about it. So yeah, we definitely want to shine a light on it and we want to talk more about these subjects. And so we're going to get into it. But before we get into it, we like to do like a little bit of a personal background. So, you know, where are you from? Where where did you, uh, you know, grow up? And we'll kind of start with that. And then I guess we can get into how you got involved with the, um, the uh, HHS. Sure, sure. So I was born at Fort Benning, Georgia. My dad is Army. And... Um, so I started my life there. My sister was then born at Fort Sill. My dad is field artillery, go Redlegs. Uh, and we moved back to Virginia after that. And I've lived in Virginia most of my life. I went to James Madison University. And, um, you know, I would call myself a native Virginian, even though I was born at Fort Benning. But I really, I really love it. And I first, after college, I went to James Madison. And after that, I actually interned for a congressman and a senator. A lot of people don't know that. And that helped me see that one voice really can make a difference. And so I thought, you know, I want to give my life to public service and helping people. And so I started off contracting to the federal government. And then I actually started my federal career with the Postal Service. And then I went into the inspector general community and I've been there since 2006, but for more than 20 years, I've served as a public servant. And it's an important disclaimer today. I'm not speaking on behalf of my agency or the federal government. I'm speaking on behalf of what I witnessed as a volunteer to help this administration with the border crisis and placing children. So um, yeah, I volunteered in 2021. A lot of people may know that the Biden administration put out a call for all federal employees to help with the border crisis. And specifically, it was helping place these unaccompanied children. So I think a lot of people, probably like me, did not realize that hundreds of thousands of children cross the border into the United States. And the federal government has spent billions that's with a B, billions of dollars to distribute these children all around the United States. 
And I thought that this was a family reunification program. Yeah. You know, I thought I was going to be sending kids to their families. And as you know, from some of the other whistleblowers that some of these sponsors of the children, they're criminals, they're high level criminal actors, they're traffickers, they're sex trafficking and labor trafficking the children. So it was a, it was a shock, but I'm, I'm glad to be sitting here with you today to, to tell the story. So how, how long into your volunteer work with the HHS did, did it take before you realized, all right, there's something weird going on here? Like what was the first real like telltale sign for you that something was not right? Yeah, so when I first got to the site, so my background is in teaching and training. And so I really thought I'd just be, you know, coloring with the kids and maybe helping them learn English. My husband's from El Salvador. Uh, mi español no es perfecto, pero oh, yo puedo okay. hablar. So They're I speak. Mine. <laughs> I can understand so, you, but if I yeah. try to speak that, it would be really yeah. be like, you know, bad. <laughs> yeah. So I've traveled, you know, in Mexico, in Guatemala, in El Salvador. And since a lot of the kids come from Guatemala, a majority actually, you know, I thought it'd be great with my Spanish skills. I could, you know, talk to them and and help them out, not realizing uh, that ever once was a child trafficked. So in the beginning, I was just escorting children around our site in Pomona, California. I would take them to their meals. I would take them to the medical. We had a large medical staff. So if somebody needed medical care, I could escort them there. And then I would escort them to case management which is where they would see their case manager, whatever they needed. If it was going to out to play soccer, you know, I would escort them there. So that's what I did in the, in the beginning. Then there was an urgent need for people in case management. So the goal was to move the children as quickly as possible. And, you know, I thought, well, that's, that's a good thing. We want to reunite them with their families as quickly as possible. But it only took me a couple of weeks of working in case management and seeing children in total distress and hearing stories from the case managers that didn't match up. Like the case manager saying the child is telling me one thing. Then I've talked to someone in home country who's telling me something different. And then I'm talking to the sponsor, right, which is the person who's going to be taking the child, mm -hmm. and they're telling me something different. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, well, that doesn't make sense. And, you know, I'm, I'm a fairly orderly person with, with cases and, you know, files and things. And I said, well, this should match up pretty easily, right? So what's the ID of the person? And let's look at the paperwork where they're saying the child is going. And these things were not matching. And I said, that's weird. So I said, look, we really need to find out where is this child going? And yeah, then kind of important, right? <laughs> sort of important. Yes. I mean, and then what do you, what do you mean that the kids don't exactly know the person or haven't ever lived with them? So I thought, you know, I'm seeing some weird things Yeah. and, um, it just didn't, it, none of it made sense. But remember, at this point, I had no idea one child had ever been trafficked through the program hmm. or any of my team 
So none of the people on the site and you think that you know the system is doing you, you have yeah. you basically have good intentions and you think everything is yeah. has good and, intentions. and we want to believe that right we want yes. to believe that our leaders and the people in the you know the federal institutions are doing what they're supposed to be doing and that it is for the best of intentions which obviously is not the case right and their children this is the thing that yeah. is mind-boggling <sighs> these are children so as two case managers had a brother and a sister and the two children were crying and the case managers came to me and one of my other federal partners who was also a volunteer and said look we really need help sorting out this case yeah we cannot make sense of it the kids have never lived with this person and obviously to start making sure we were doing quality assurance we had developed a checklist and you know, an orderly way to make sure that everything was being done correctly. And we noticed so many discrepancies and then we learned the database. Like, how does this work? How, how are they actually tracking who these sponsors are? And that's when we discovered that this, in this particular case, that multiple children over a couple of years had gone to this particular place this was Bonita Springs, Florida, our very first suspicious sponsor case. And it involved no less than six sponsors, multiple addresses, and kids coming from like all over the country. And I thought, this makes no sense. Yeah. And that's when we turned in, it was mid-June, the first suspicious sponsor, still not knowing one child had been trafficked through the program. So you went to some higher ups and you reported yes. this information. Yes. Uh, who, who did you tell this to? So um, there is what's called a federal field specialist. Okay. So um, I won't be naming names, but uh, the, the federal field specialist on the site. And when we briefed the case to several people that day and said, you know, we just don't understand and the federal field specialist said, um, are you serious? Like, this is like 18 kids. And we said, yeah, I mean, this is what we believe we're seeing here. You know, we're, we're just new, the case managers, one of them was in the hospital for stress. She couldn't even make the briefing that day. She was just so upset by, you know, what the children were saying and that nothing was matching. And so he, that moment called DHS on the line. And he said, everyone in this room, shut up. He says, I need silence. And there were about 10 of us. And he said, look, this is, you know, this is what they're telling me right now. We need to look into this. So I believed, you know, hey, everything's, everything's fine. People are looking into it. And so we go on and start helping quality assurance with the cases. And then we started noticing the same red flags. Multiple children, multiple addresses, children saying, you know, I've never worked for this person or worse. We hit next had the big case in Austin, which is the kids were saying, well, we were promised work. And of course, you know, a lot of people are coming here for economic reasons, totally understandable. But the story was kind of strange in that the sponsor who lived in Austin, Texas, 
owned the coffee farm where this little boy was working huh. in Guatemala. Oh my. Yes. <laughs> so there's a Guatemalan national here in the United States in Austin, Texas, who has a coffee farm in Guatemala. Right. And we find out the story that, you know, out of the goodness of their hearts, they're gonna, you know, pay the journey for the child to come. And then the child was gonna work in Texas to pay off the debt. Hmm. Wow. Hmm. So we- how About how old was this kid? Do you remember? I think he was 15. Wow. Yeah, I think he was 15 years old. Jeez. So the boys ranged in this particular case because as we started digging, we discovered there were four children that had the exact same story all going to the same sponsor in Austin. Wow. And three of those boys were at the Pecos emergency intake site. So now we had a case of four kids. And because I happen to know someone who went down to Pecos, I called her and I said, hey, look, I said, we have a bo little boy here who's telling us this story. I said, and now I see that you guys have three other children going to that same person. Can you... Can we get the case managers on the line? Can we have them interview the kids separately, make sure that they don't contaminate the interviews, right? And have each one of them tell their story. And all four children told the exact same story. I'm working on the farm in Guatemala, making $2.50 a day. They're paying the journey for me, and then they're gonna give me work. And so these little boys were so proud that they were coming here, that they were going to work for $6 an hour. So remember, $2.50 a day to $6 an hour. It's a lot these, for them. Yeah. These children had no idea that they were being trafficked. They really believed they were going to be Elon Musk rich. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, they don't know any better. They're, they're kids. So yeah, they're kids. <laughs> yeah. No, they don't know. This is why we have such strong laws to protect children yes. when it exactly. comes to like, work. That's and... the point. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. That's but it was, it was horrifying because these little boys, at least one of them, because I went in and read his case file after he was transferred to long-term care. Uh, we were able to report it to Office of Trafficking in Persons, and these boys went into long-term care. And I read through his case file, and he had actually never been to school, and he didn't know how to read or write. And I remember thinking, what kind of an evil person tells a child, you know, it, it, trafficking is force, fraud, or coercion. So smuggling is, is bringing the person across the border. But to prove trafficking for labor, there has to be force, fraud, or, co or coercion. And they're, they're telling these fraudulent stories to these children. Yeah. And then what is the purpose? These children are in debt bondage. You know, they'll never work themselves out from under their debt. And one of the case managers told me, the one who had one of the children who was at Pecos, she said, Tara, I, you know, I was trying to joke around and I, in my heart, it just hurt because you know, you told us you thought the kids were being trafficked. And I just wanted to joke around with him and say, you know, hey, what happens if you get to the United States and, you know, you you find a girl and you want to get married? And she said, Tara, she said, that little boy looked at me and said, oh, no, we cannot leave sponsor. 
I mean, this is this is not right. And our federal dollars are 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 doing this to these children. It's like institutionalized slavery. In it way, is. Where we're importing these kids from the third world who have no idea what's going on, no knowledge of their intrinsic value or their intrinsic rights, and they're just being exploited by yes. adults who, you know, have, have the connections. And it, it seems like what's going on is at scale here. You're describing, you know, dozens of incidences, but probably, you know, what you saw as an individual is the tip of the proverbial yeah, the iceberg. Fraction yes. of what is actually out there. The fraction. That to me is the scariest thought. Is yes. Like how many of these kids actually are out there experiencing this right, right now? And what is going on with them? Like how many of them are just being exploited for labor or worse, you know, and it's the worst that definitely concerns me. Yes. Yes. And if you've seen in the news lately, right? No less than a hundred children found working in slaughterhouses across the United States. No less than a hundred minors. This was this was a bust very recently. Yeah. Then the New York Times, the New York Times, right, <laughs> publishes an article about not just how the children are working here, but how the children are dying here. So they will. This one little boy, they gave an example, his first day on the job, and this is in the New York Times, first day on the job, in roofing, he fell 50 feet off of a Jesus. roof, and he, and he died. And these are children. And here's, here's the kicker, right? I had no idea Sorry. one child had ever been trafficked through the program. But after this, someone sent me a copy of the Senate report going back to the trafficking cases from 2014, okay, 2014. And they've done, there's a documentary called Trafficked in America regarding this case of Guatemalan teens who were labor trafficked back in 2014 by HHS. So I saw the Senate report and I knew that they knew. And I cannot describe the horror that I felt. Like here I've been a public servant my whole life. I came here to help. And maybe I'm on the wrong side of the problem. Yeah. Maybe my efforts are sending children to bad places. That's a scary Yeah, I thought my molecules were going to fly apart. Oh, right. I, yeah. can't, I can't even imagine, to be honest. And yeah, like you said, 2014, it's like this was already happening under the Obama administration. Like they knew about this for a while. Yeah. And that not only is upsetting, it angers me. It, that's, yeah. That angers me. That makes me want to fight these people, you know? Yes. Yeah. And it gets worse <laughs> because this administration knowing all of this that had happened, relaxed the vetting rules during the largest surge we've ever had. Compounding the problem. Yeah, it's Compounding the problem. And then by dumping the extra money in, they're actually creating the pull. And we are, and this is a terrible, terrible truth is the United States government is the middleman in the trafficking ring. We deliver the child to the trafficker the last mile. That's insane. 
And if I had not seen it with my own eyes, I'm not even sure I could believe it. Right. But, you know, drugs, that's the only thing I can compare it to because people understand drug trafficking. Um, if drugs are manufactured in, let's say, Guatemala, since that's where most of the children are coming from, the, the traffickers have to get the drugs across Mexico. They've got to guard their stuff and they have to pay the cartels, right? And when they get to the U.S. border, they really risk losing a lot of their product because, you know, we have people on the border catching drugs. You probably see in busts all the time, all the fentanyl and everything. But they have to guard their product the whole way. They got to get it over that border and then they've got to guard it all the way down their distribution chain to the end user for a one time use. But if we take a child and that trafficker is bringing that child from Guatemala, all they have to do is get that child across Mexico. That's it. Because as soon as they get to the U.S. border, we take that child. And then we care for the child and then we deliver the child to the end user. Oof. And it's not a one-time use. This is over and over. So this is the thing that I just truly did not grasp because I've never worked in child welfare or knew anything about trafficking is that for a trafficker, a child is a residual income for them. It's their asset. Yeah. It's not like they're paying the child their wages, right? And anybody who doesn't believe this can go back and look at the 2014 case. You can read the Senate reports. You can listen to Senator you know, Portman and McCaskill go berserk on HHS during the Senate hearings. It's very interesting to go back and watch now knowing what's happening. Um, but they are seeing these children as residual income. So every hour, you know, they've got a crew of kids who are working. They're getting paid off of that. Right. It's residual income for the life of the child. And now worse, if they're sex trafficking, it's residual income off every trick that child turns, that girl is. or boy. Yeah. And it's happening. Yeah. Right it now, will. today. It actually, and it goes back even farther than 2014. I'm not sure if you're familiar, uh, there was a book by uh, an investigative journalist, uh, his name's Nick Bryant, called The Franklin Scandal. And The Franklin Scandal got into this territory in the 80s. Uh, the Franklin Ooh. Credit Union was this big uh, African-American-owned credit union that was doing a lot of promotion of African-American businesses in Omaha, Nebraska in the 70s. And the guy that took it over, his name was Lawrence King, uh, he got you know, exposed using the credit union as his own personal piggy bank. But the the dark part that came out was that he was also trafficking kids from the orphanage in Omaha that oh, was... And they were connected, so it was a Catholic orphanage with a Catholic bishop in charge of the orphanage and the police chief and a couple of the, you know, the big business people in Omaha at the time. Got, that all got, you know, uh, sort of caught up in this scandal. And they, the FBI eventually came in and got the three primary witnesses, two of them got two of them to recant. And the one of them, they ended up putting her away. I forget what for, they locked her up basically. And wow. so there were no like, charges against the people involved, but... They've been doing this for a long time, and they, this is what they do. They use these disadvantaged kids, you know, that are that don't have parents that are in the orphanage system 
or the foster system. And now it seems like they're they're getting imports. They're importing them from Guatemala and other you know countries. Mm-hmm like you know the same way we would export our manufacturing to to china we've almost exported our sourcing for child trafficking to guatemala and venezuela and these other third world countries where the cia had a history of sort of destabilizing in the early or in the mid 20th century yeah and you mentioned the vulnerability it's like yes you can see an example of that as well in the bigger more well-known case of the jeffrey epstein jelaine maxwell mm-hmm. and from what i understand they used to drive through poor or underprivileged neighborhoods and it's terrible spot young girls outside of school and things like that and they would they would try to target kids who they knew probably didn't have present parent figures and that sort of thing were broke, you know, they, they wanted money and, and then they, they groomed them. And they groomed them with these, know, promises. All these promises. Exactly. Car, look at all this money we have. Like, yes, you know, we'll pay you very well. You can be rich too. You can be a massage yes. therapist and work for us, you know, and we'll pay you very well. And that's what they do. They look for the vulnerable and that's what predators do, you know, even in the wild, uh, yes. you know, a, a predator that's hunting in the wild, it's going to look for the animal with the limp. It's going to look for the slowest one, the one that's falling behind the rest of the pack and that's the one it's, it's going to target it works the same exact way in these yes things. it's terrible it's terrible and again had i not read it in the senate reports had i not read books there's another dhs whistleblower who came out in 2015 he actually his name is dr jason piccolo and he worked for dhs's human smuggling cell and in 2015 he He said, my life changed when I realized that we were giving children to criminals. And that was 2015. Now, the thing that's that's really, really has ratcheted up the, the problem that was exposed by the new DHS whistleblower from 2021, Aaron Stevenson, who is a true American hero. We're going to see um, him this week as well. So it's it's fantastic. great. It's great that we got you guys at this, on the same week. And hopefully, know? we'll have yeah. like a live stream with with you and Kyle and, and Aaron yes, and everybody. We'll, we'll do that would live. that would be great. What's really cool is we all saw the same problem from a different angle, different right? So I guess but, that that well, I'll let you finish your point and then we'll lead into. Yeah, that. I was going to say. Well, it was because of his courage to come forward when he saw for the very first time, right that transnational organized criminals, right? The talk watch list, that there were people on that watch list who were sponsoring children. It has never happened in the history of this watch list until 2021. And these are high level criminal actors who are here sponsoring children. And this is what he was trying to tell the whole Intel community about and nobody wanted to wanted to hear about it. And so people really need to look into who are these sponsors because they're not they're not vetting them. You know, of course they're not. they're not vetting them. And there's there is not there is not one child welfare organization on the planet who is going to say, "Sure, let me give you 15 children and I'm never going to lay eyes on your house." I'm not going to see what your status is in the country, right? I'm not going to see if you have sufficient income to support these children. 
I'm never going to see your house here. Bye. Have fun. Yeah. No, that that would never happen. And that's what's happening right now. That just wouldn't even happen in a normal foster. I mean, imagine you had a normal American who was trying to foster some, you know, dozen kids or whatever. Like, there's no way they would get away with that. Like, and, yeah. and we see the same thing. Uh, we're in New York City. And oh, I've wow. Seen, okay. So when we've had like something like 50,000 of the migrants come here. Yeah. And we're right next to one of the hotels where they're, they're putting them up, the Watson. And they are, uh, they, they just changed it over. We had some, a brouhaha because there was a bunch of single men staying there. Yep. And now they've changed it over to be more, you know, it's families only. But, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of a lot of what appear to be families. You know, it's like, you know, a, a, a male and female adult with very young children. Yep. Mm -hmm. But, you know, like, I don't know. Like, yeah, we don't. Like, how and, many of them are actually families and how many of them are perhaps sponsors? Of well, and it seems yeah. like from what Tara's saying, too, is that these might actually be legitimate families. Yeah. And the, the scary part is that they're taking these kids and just we're hand delivering them to the traffickers at yeah. dozens at yes. a time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the Watson situation is crazy. You probably heard about that in the news too. There was an, you know, a protest, and some of them camped out in front of the hotel because they refused. It was only a, about a handful of them, and they were being egged on by left-wing activists, and they refused to leave and go to a, a new location that they were being placed at in Brooklyn, so that they could clear the hotel and and put the put the families in there. So that went on for a few days, and. We covered it, you know, we took some footage and we kind of were giving updates on Twitter about that. And then uh, New York City Antifa tried to dox us and oh accused us of harassing migrants for simply reporting on what was happening, you know, in our neighborhood. And yeah, they try to like dox us and all that stuff. And wow. they're a bunch of cowards. <laughs> well, yeah. you know, the thing is, is that I believe the average person and this is where some of the people like Antifa are playing on people's, they're spinning lies or telling half truths to say that to vet sponsors for children is somehow anti-immigrant. It's crazy. And no, what it is, is pro-child. <laughs> um, I don't understand if people were just in a dream world, like maybe like me, because I didn't know that they were trafficking in the program. But now that I do know and see the horrors of it, what I see is this is the most wicked form of abuse and exploitation I've ever witnessed in my life. I have seen children have panic attacks, know of children who were put on suicide watch and one night heard a young girl screaming i mean inconsolable screaming for her mother and i'll, I'll never get over it and so i know that these children don't know the people who they're going to because because they say and then james o'keefe right and some wonderful undercover journalists at Project Veritas spent time knocking on doors. Yep. And when they did, you you um, may have heard the stories that the children were telling, you know? Yes. I remember when that came yeah. out. But to lend to your point a bit about Antifa too, you know, like if they're accusing us of uh, harassing migrants or they're saying that, you know, these policies of wanting to vet people where the children are going, like that's anti-migrant. If they were truly people who cared about these people as people and not just as political 
pawns and, and chess pieces in their drama triangles that they erect. You know, mm -hmm. they would be talking about this issue. Yes, they would. They would they would be they would set up their own little thing and interview Tara Rodas and say, how do we help these migrant children? No, yes. they don't do that. They don't open up their own homes to take them in or any of that. They nope. just get out there and they protest and they harass people and all this stuff to seem virtuous and all that crap. But mm -hmm. that's enough about them. I think we've spent enough time on Antifa. <laughs> uh, we'll move on to the next part of the story, which we've already touched on a bit. So from the point where it's like, now you know this is happening. Mm -hmm. There had to be a moment where you decided, I have to say something about this outside of just reporting it within my organization. I have to tell people. And you brought up um, Aaron Stevenson. So mm -hmm. you, you saw Aaron Stevenson's story with Project Veritas. Yes. And if, if I recall correctly from your interview with Kyle Serafin, that was kind of the thing that really helped motivate you to come out publicly and to also approach Project Veritas and to tell your story, right? Yes. Now there was one motivator prior to that. Okay. And I had already at this point, by the time I heard about Kyle, um, sorry, Aaron's story, I was already starting to report through chains of command, um, outside of the direct chain of command also that there was trafficking going on, but I had not made full protected disclosures until Aaron. So what had happened was, is one day, and this is after the four boys in Austin, um, you know, we would explain to case managers how to use the system correctly to see if the, a sponsor had sponsored multiple kids or if an address was a bad address. And sometimes I would specifically say, hey, this address in Gulf Freeway or this address which is in Houston, Texas, or this address in Austin, hey, be aware of that. And one day a girl comes running up to me and she says, Tara, and it wasn't too long before I heard about Aaron's story. She said, Tara, we're sending another child to, to Austin. I'm like, what do you mean? Um, because at this point we had had a telecon with HHS, Office of Inspector General, which are fabulous people who investigate these sorts of crimes, kick in doors and get kids back and that type of a thing. And they were aware of the Austin case. So we'd, we'd given them Austin and we'd given them Bonita Springs, Florida. So I'm thinking the cavalry's coming, right? Well, what I learned is they don't have access to all of the data. So HHS is trying to hide who these sponsors are. Like right now, the guy who's a Guatemalan citizen who's sitting in Austin, Texas, who tried to get four kids. Huh, he's just free. Who knows how many kids he's gotten or has? Oof. No one's going to look at him, right? So this was, you know, very disturbing. So when they tell me another kid is going there, I remember I picked up all my stuff. I thought for sure this has to be an accident. I go running down to the command center and I the the federal field specialist was not there. And so an attorney who was actually my boss was there. And I said, look, I work for you. My goal is to make sure we don't end up on the front page of the Washington Post or the LA Times, right? I mean, here in DC, because my, my office is a block from the White House. I said, you know, we, we, we always have this rule. Don't get yourself on the front page of the Washington Post. It won't be good. 
So um, I said, look, I'm just saying this is this is concerning because somebody just told me we're sending another child to Austin. And supposedly this is under investigation right now. Right. And that attorney said to me, Tara, we only get sued if we keep kids in care too long. We don't get sued by traffickers. And I mean, I was stunned. She must have seen the look on my face. And she just moved in. She said, do you understand? Wow. Be clear? We don't get sued by traffickers. And I, I was totally stunned. So at this point, when I knew that they knew they were giving kids to traffickers and their official legal position is we don't get sued by traffickers. So let's keep moving these kids, moving wow. these kids, moving these kids. I was so determined at that point <laughs> to dot every I, cross every T, report up every chain of command that I could and had started at that point telling some folks outside. Um, then when I heard Aaron's disclosure, so I'm just sitting there on the Pomona Fairplex emergency intake site one evening and I get the text from somebody that says, you've got to see this. And when I saw Aaron's disclosure, I thought, okay, if this is really true, that we are knowingly giving children to high level criminal actors, I, I, I'm serious. I don't even know what I'm going to do at that point. And I was already telling people, I said, the day I get walked off the site, I can assure you it's going to be because of trafficking. That's what it's going to be because of, because I'm not going to shut up about this. Now that I know that they know, and that their position is we don't get sued by traffickers that I'm, I'm just telling you guys the day I get walked off here. So I get, I see Aaron's video. I take it around to the background check team who are, they're just regular people. They're not like law enforcement. There's no law enforcement on the site. HHS is not a law enforcement agency, right? Right. So I kept saying, can we get some FBI here? Can we get some CIA here? Can we get some agents here, some investigators, some anyone. analysts, you know? <laughs> anyone. Anybody, anybody, right? Where are the men with the guns? That's yes, men with badges and guns who can actually look at databases to see who are these crazy people sponsoring the kids, right? So it was less than two weeks after circulating Aaron's video that one of the case managers came up to me and she said, Tara, she said, I, I, I have this case that I feel very weird about. She said, I've had multiple conversations with the sponsor who's female. And she said, the sponsor keeps talking about her activity with a gang. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, every conversation, she, somehow it gets back to, you know, she really wasn't guilty of crimes and, you know, she just was, you know, involved with the guy in the gang. And I said, all right, this is strange. I said, based especially on Aaron's video, I said, just see what you can get from her. Because obviously if someone is here and they're not a U.S. citizen and they don't have permanent resident status, so they've entered the country illegally themselves, we don't know and we don't have real background checks going on. We don't know what their criminal history is. So if they've never committed a crime here in the United States, they're not going to come up on a surface level background. It's not going to not going to happen. So unless 
we're looking at background checks from at high levels and working with international law enforcement, or at least the consulates in each one of the, or the embassies in each one of the countries, how are we ever going to know? So she fortunately is really, really good. And she got the woman to self-disclose and the woman actually sent us her adjudication paperwork. She had served time for her involvement with gangs hmm. and, um, it, the, it, it was a very serious case where we had hard evidence and she was attempting to simultaneously sponsor two children. She was getting a female from the Pomona, uh, sorry, from the Fort Bliss emergency intake site. And she was also sponsoring a child, a male from our site in Pomona, California. And that's the, that's what got everybody in a tailspin. And, you know, I started being accused of things. Someone asked me, maybe I needed to check my biases. I'm like, my biases. I'm like, what, what are you talking about? I'm like, you, you know, you might not know me, but my husband is from El Salvador. I volunteered to help migrant children. What are you talking about? So anyway, it was just weird. Everything changed after I turned in um, this transnational criminal organization for sponsoring kids. And it was just a short time after that. They then took me off the TCO case. They accused me of wrongdoing. They escorted me off the site under threat of investigation. Cause I'm like, are you saying you might send me home? And they're like, well, maybe, well, my agency has no idea what I'm doing. Right. They don't know I'm working trafficking cases. They, they have no need to know that. <laughs> so anyway, they, they found out that I had shared with the Department of Justice Office of Inspector General. I made two protected disclosures explaining this process and then two protected disclosures to HHS Office of Inspector General, which you're not supposed to be able to be retaliated against, right? right. As a whistleblower for seeing something and saying something, but they found out and they were like, we got to get her off the site. So they did the midday, they escort me off the site in front of my peers. It is not, it's not a fun thing when you realized, holy smokes, my whole career is about to go up <laughs> in flames. And I remember saying, um, is there any chance, you know, I, I could be fired? And they're like, well, you know, it's possible, but we don't think so. We're going to investigate. Well, that, investigate. That, that's what drives me up the wall the most. Is that yeah. Threatening to investigate the gaslighting, you, but the they, won't, gaslighting. they won't investigate the stuff that you're trying to expose. And there's very clear red flags that they should investigate. And it's like, no, we're going to investigate you. It's that reversal. Yeah. As if you have done something Crazy. wrong here when you're mm -hmm. pointing out, gee, oh, my God, our system's being used by human traffickers to mm -hmm. traffic children. Yeah. Uh, alert, alert, alert. They're like, no, shh. <laughs> Tara. I know. Tara, stop it. I know. We don't get sued by traffickers. Shh. Yeah. Let's just let's just move the kids. I mean, who cares? It's just yeah. From the third world, like demons. What the heck? Total I know. It was. Demons. It's really horrifying. And when you think about it, in the six months period that the Pomona Fairplex emergency intake site was open, it was only open six months. We moved over 8,300 children. Wow. We distributed them all across the country. Okay. This is only 8,300 of the more than 120,000 we released. From one site. And I saw a level of evil. And 
just exploitation in just this small number. And when I think that in just this 8,300, the level, it's just the tip of the iceberg because hundreds of thousands of these children have come across the border and the government has spent billions of dollars to ship them around. This is only the tiny tip of the iceberg. And we know for sure because of Aaron's disclosure, never in the history of the program has a member of a transnational criminal organization sponsored or attempted to sponsor a child. Until now. Yeah. Until now. On the and then, thanks, yep. Joe Biden. Thanks. Insane. <laughs> DHS, Insane. Like, wow, so, God. you know, you see Aaron's story, all of that happens. You get it, you get escorted off the site, which is, you know, yep. honestly good for you because you called that. You were like, I guarantee you, <laughs> if they walk me off this place, you already know that it's going to be. Yeah. Like this. And you were right. You know, you already had that gut feeling, which is usually correct. So, yeah. all that happens. When did you approach Project Veritas about this and decide, well, you know what? They already kicked me out. Um, I'm going all in. Yeah. So, I reported right through all the chains of command. I let my whole office know, right? I had um, recorded interviews, um, which I'm so thankful for now because nobody can ever go back and say, well, she made this stuff up, right? Because, well, obviously we have all the email traffic, we have all kinds of stuff, um, but also those recorded interviews that are on the record that I was saying the same thing then as I'm saying today traffickers are getting the children. So after I get through that whole process, right, demobilization, coming back to DC, trying to assimilate into work life again, and just with the burden for these children, wondering what is going on and trying to find a whistleblower protection attorney, right? Because okay. I didn't want to lose my job for, for something that, Right, I'm calling out fraud, waste, and abuse, and I should not lose my job because of that. And I was having a really hard time finding an attorney, and I thought, wow, Aaron is still working at DHS. So that means he must have a good attorney. So that's when I called Project Veritas. So I originally called them to see if they would put me in touch with Aaron. With Aaron, okay. So I'm sure they were just like, you've got to be kidding me. Like when they get my call, yeah. right? I said, Hey, I know this is going to sound really weird. And I, you know, fortunately the undercover journalist who picked up the phone that night had, they'd been receiving so many tips of trafficking in the program, people at the airlines. Um, there were people who were working the transportation company. So MVM, right? People have been afraid to come forward, but people who work at the transportation company were like, Hey, these kids are telling me that they don't know who they're going to. They've had whistleblowers too. Yeah. And then there were, there were other whistleblowers around the country, but they wouldn't come out in, in like, and have their face shown. They were always in the shadows. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and project Veritas didn't have hard evidences or hard evidence or actual addresses to go to. And so I said, well, I've got a spot here where I know we've got a bunch of kids. I have a spot here where I know we have a bunch of kids and here. And they were the only ones who said, we're going to go knock on doors. 
Hell yeah. And that's what they, that's what they did boots on the ground. And, um, you know, the stories they, they told me, um, it's just, it's horrifying because obviously what they showed in the video is a small clip of, of some of the children, right? And one is a 15, 15 year old girl. She, yeah, she came that. here to go to school and she, she had to quit school to pay her debt to the cartel. And then a 16 year old girl who's being pimped out by her aunt, who is her sponsor, wow. right? Who she's never met. She doesn't know if this woman is her aunt or not. And it's just, it's horrific. It's, it's, it's unconscionable that federal dollars are going to exploit children. It's infuriating. It's just, it is. It I, is. I, I get goosebumps even thinking about it right now because yeah. it just makes you want to rage. It like, makes me want to rage. And molecules flying more that I could do. I don't really know what else to do about the situation. And that's why we're, we're doing this and, and talking about it because I feel kind of helpless. Like call your lawmakers, call your lawmakers, your local, yeah, your state, your state yes. secretary, your state representatives, and then yes. also your federal, you got your, yeah. your, your Senator and your house of representatives call, yes. know who those people are, call them and yes. talk to them and yeah. just express that you're, you are concerned about children being trafficked over the Southern border because of yes. regulations from Project Veritas, from Tara Rodas, yeah. and yes. from uh, Aaron Stevenson. Yeah. And, Give them and the receipts, provide them the links and say, yes. what are you doing about this? You know, exactly. Yes. I guarantee you if they get a dozen calls about that, all of a sudden it's going to be on their radar. Yeah. Right. And, the more people that do that, just, and that's, that's something that anybody can do. Anybody, yes. you know, you don't have to, you don't even have to leave your name. You can just tell me you live in your district. You don't have to give yes. full, full disclosure of who you are. Mm -hmm. There's, yeah, the there's something is... everyone can do just a little. And if everybody does just a little tiny bit, we can, we can get closer to saving these kids. People. Yes. Know yes, that. that's right. And I think that's something else that people need to understand. There are children right now at this very moment right. who are in crisis. There are children, you, I mean, people think working in a slaughterhouse around bone crushers and chemicals that burn the children, that is not the worst of what some of these children are going through. Right. And there must be accountability. There has to be accountability. There are things happening right now to children that we probably would, I mean, probably make us sick to the point of vomiting if we knew what was happening to some of these children, it is urgent. And I, it, it doesn't even seem believable that we are witnessing government sponsored taxpayer funded child trafficking, but we are. And, you know, after the New York times ran their article and talked about all the children who they talked to in all the different States, you know, the administration comes out and says, oh, we're going to have the Department of Labor crack down. Okay, great. That's a good place to start. But it's, it's a cover for what's really happening, which is HHS with billions of dollars is creating a pull and a distribution chain for trafficking. HHS, this program must be reformed if we're going to stop seeing this exploitation of children. Yeah, this is aiding and embedding. Of yes, trafficking. Yeah. And you know, we, like Brent said, contact your lawmakers and let yes. them know that this is happening. But 
people need to know that it's happening first. Yes. And that's and the thing hard. is people don't realize that this is happening. No. And it's it, also like yeah, you, said, you it's didn't really realize it. It's incredibly it hard to believe. Like, it's yeah. just everything in your everything that we've been programmed with to to, to current yeah. would suggest that if anything like that was happening, we the would FBI, certainly know about it. You know, yeah. the FBI yeah. with their, you know, I think it's like eighty billion dollars they get a year. Yeah. The CIA yeah. with their untold budgets, you know, DHS another couple of billion per year. Uh, you think that these they would do something about this? Yes, but they're not. Yeah, well, we know through Kyle that, <laughs> and it's like yeah. you have to get Project Veritas to go to these actual locations and knock on the door. Yes, before anybody from you know a federal law enforcement or even local yeah. law enforcement, and then they didn't even know what doors to knock on until someone yes. like Tara chose to spoke up and point the way. And that's another thing too. You know, I I, I hope that more people in the in the HHS familiarize themselves with your story and because perhaps they're they're seeing similar things as you but don't yeah. really quite understand what it is themselves you know and i hope maybe if they see what what you've realized and how big this actually is but also like what you've been through and that you you know you survived <laughs> no one's assassinated you yet <laughs> we have cameras <laughs> and I always tell people my breaks are good my husband takes care of all of that you breaks know are good Tara is not suicidal everyone no no <laughs> she loves life and God and all of that and yes. she knows what she's doing and why she's doing it you know yes. anyone who wants to blow the whistle like you you should you very much should you will have a support system you'll have other whistleblowers back you up you'll have us yes. you'll have Project Veritas James O'Keefe all these yeah. people who care about this issue they will they will back you up but it's it's gonna take um a risk you know you're gonna have to take a risk of some sort and i imagine for you it was a really scary difficult thing to decide oh. well not only am i gonna talk about this to my higher ups and then once all of that played out to decide well i'm gonna talk about this publicly and i'm gonna yeah. put my face to it and tell yeah. the world about it so you know yeah. after all of that um, I guess we'll get into the aftermath of that. So how has your life changed since you decided to go public with this stuff? Yeah, well, my life will never be the same. You know, it'll never be the same. And I didn't know that when I got on the plane to go to Dallas for training and then deployed to California, that I was going to become a voice for migrant children. I had no idea. Um, you know, I just thought I was going to play games with kids, yeah. but I will not stop speaking out. And so it's been really, um, a blessing that so many people like you care. And that's the thing that I've learned. Uh, there are so many people who really do care and they do want to see justice done for these children, because this is, this is horrific. Once, once people get past, there's, there's like this natural block to not want to see this level of darkness, of right? Or this level of evil. I know because I felt it. I was like, no, 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 no. I, I you know, I don't want to see, I don't want to hear. And they have the yeah. belief that it's but not it's, happening. It's not just that. Like, and that's the hardest part. They yes. realize too that once they allow themselves to acknowledge it, then now they have to do something. Now you have to exactly. do something. You know, if you have a conscience, at least, unless you're, yes. you know, someone who doesn't, or you're able to yes. just switch that off and to focus. No, on normal people else. can't yeah. ignore no. something like this. No, especially no, with you just, children. You just, you just can't. And so, once I finally settled, right, that I'm going to do whatever it takes to get this message out, whatever it takes. 
right? Um, then there's a there's a real freedom in that. That wow, I this is this is my new mission, and anyone who will listen, I'm going to talk to about it. So it's been really great because there have been some lawmakers, you know, who have come forward. There have been attorney generals who in the states, right, who have come forward and said, hey, we want to hear your testimony. Come talk to us. So I've talked to prosecutors. I've talked to legislators. And I intend to continue to talk to legislators. And I'm really hoping that, and these are state legislators, because I believe it's going to have to be at the state where people are going to say, okay, wait a minute. If I'm the governor of, let's just say, Virginia, because that's where, where I live. I live in Virginia. So if I'm, I'm Youngkin. How is it that the federal government is going to be sending people to my state, children to my state, and not tell me where they're going, or worse, the high-level criminal actors they are going to? And knowing that's the worst thing, right? So people on the talk are sponsoring children all up and down the East Coast here in Virginia, right? In DC, in New Jersey, in Maryland, all here on the East Coast. These are high level criminal actors that are on the transnational organized crime watch list. And so the federal government is sending them here. They're aware of it and they're not telling me as the governor. I'd be like, oh no, federal government, you don't, you don't have the right to do that. So you're sending kids to my state, marvelous. I just want to know who the sponsors are. How is it the kids are missing, right? All these kids are missing. Really? How many doors have you knocked on? Yeah, why aren't you? Probably zero. That's unacceptable. They've got a list. They actually have the ID of every sponsor. They have an address of every sponsor. We bought plane tickets or train tickets to every sponsor. So you should know exactly where the children are and who they're with but they won't go after the sponsors huh. and they won't give up the sponsors, but somebody needs to make them because it's unacceptable. You cannot pass all state, you know, with, with this level of secrecy and no, no transparency whatsoever and import vulnerable children into my state, right? That I can't follow up on or check up on to known criminal actors that you're not telling me about. No, federal government, you, you should not be able to do that. Oh, it's just like, how is it possible that the Department of Homeland Security, I mean, just thinking the name, the Department of Homeland Security knows that there are these high-level criminal actors mm -hmm. in a location, and they're not like heads up local law enforcement. Yeah. Right. No, instead, what did they do when somebody <laughs> came the forward? They're protecting them, and they're sending them kids. Yeah. Like it doesn't it doesn't make any sense unless you, you start nope. to want to get into the, the tinfoil hat, you know, yeah. territory of like, thinking this is an agenda from on high that, you know, they're 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 pushing this because somebody somewhere wants this. Yeah. And the way that they retaliate against individual whistleblowers when the situation is is brought to to, to you know public consciousness. It suggests that, that that's the most likely explanation. Kind of seems that way. You know, you have to wonder how many of 
you know, the politicians themselves probably are benefiting from this in some way. It, it would be interesting to uh, connect some of those dots. Well, it's a lot of money, I can tell you that. I mean, you're talking for anybody can go, this is all public information, so people can go to the HHS website, which by the way, it's a $2.7 trillion department. Okay, that's a, that's a lot of money. <laughs> okay, <laughs> trillion, all right. Crazy. And the unaccompanied children program, which is under the Office of Refugee Resettlement, anybody can go in and follow the, you know, follow the chain on, the, on their website. So it's HHS, Administration for Children and Families, Office of Refugee Resettlement, and then Unaccompanied Children Program is one of the programs under Office of Refugee Resettlement. Anybody can look and see the more than $10 billion they've spent and where that money is going. And hmm, why might it be going there? Or hmm, why did it take that amount of money? So you're telling me you're gonna be spending close to a billion dollars for a site that's only gonna be open for six months and you can't keep the children safe? Sorry, you don't deserve that amount. No, no way. We, it's unacceptable with the level of technology that we have that, that one child should be missing from a program. Yes. Unacceptable. Yeah. And yet they don't know where like 20 to 30% of the children are. That is not Yet we're reading in the news, oh, well, we just had a bus for 100, you know, 100 migrant children here. Some as young as middle schoolers. This is, this is what's just astounding. People wonder, why am I seeing all this migrant, child migrant labor? Why are they having all these busts? Well, thank you, HHS. Yeah, they weren't yeah. they weren't doing their due diligence. They no, they're not. and and when as soon as it was indicated that there was a problem, they doubled down and and covered it up instead of doing the right thing and being like we have a problem here and bringing yes. it to the attention of, you know, the people responsible for you know, signing the checks or whatever. But I think that is the way to go after it. You know, we need to defund child trafficking here in the United yes. States. And refund the police, defund child trafficking. <laughs> right. I mean, we heck, we had we had FBI knock on our door because we went down uh, to to do some journalism for January six and interview you know people in the crowd and talk to people. Yeah. Um, and we had FBI knock on our door. Yeah. They, they can come look for us, <laughs> and they can't they yeah. can't go knock on the doors of these sponsors of these sponsors who are getting dozens of kids. I mean, I don't. It just no, nothing they, makes sense. They clearly have the resources right. and they clearly have the information as Tara. Has they do said. have the information 100%. Yep. Why the hell aren't they doing it? You have to ask that question. Yes. And Brent said it kind of makes you put the tinfoil hat on and, and think, well, there's some higher level people involved in this that clearly uh, like the conditions that have now been established for some reason. And you yes. wonder how many of those kids are ending up in the back rooms with some of these lawmakers or something like that. So you have to wonder. I don't know well, how to think about it. At oh, some point, the truth is gonna come out. That's yeah. what I always say, give it enough time. Just like back in 2014, you know, it took them time to figure all of that out and discover it and investigate it and figure out who was behind it. 
um, indict some people, put them away in prison, which what an amazing concept. Yeah. Criminals in prison. Whoa. Who would have thought? Um, well, you know, it's so they've been keeping criminals out of prison. Yeah, that's the yeah. That's and the defunding, new, uh, you know, police departments. I was policy. just reading uh, an article about Austin, Texas and how they're having a real problem there with understaffing of, the, of just the regular police. They've got something like 300 vacancies and an additional, I think it's 77 retirements that are expected this month mm. from the department because they're demoralized. They, yeah. Defunded, yeah. they defunded the department in 2019. Then they had to refund it in 2021 because of the Texas state law that forced them to, to fund their, their police. But by that point, the damage had already been done. And mm -hmm. the DA there, who's, uh, I think, I'm pretty sure he took money from George Soros. I think so, The yeah. DA had charged Imagine 19 that. officers <laughs> in Austin for, you know, uh, you know police brutality and uh, related stuff uh, during the, the, the riots of St. Floyd in 2020. So they went after the cops for dealing with, you know, what was essentially a nationwide riot across all, all, multiple municipalities went after the cops, completely demoralized them, took away their funds. So of course they left, like, and they also got rid of cadet classes, which, which is a big point. Uh, there were like three cadet Crazy. classes that were coming up in 2019 and they canceled them all. So it's like across the board, we have this sort of weird thing where high up people that are in charge are facilitating crime instead yeah. of combating it. Yeah. And, you know, it's going to take more people waking up screaming, you know, to their politicians and the media before we're going to get a change in circumstances. Yeah. People must realize yes. the status quo is not good. It's not. Good. No, no, it isn't. And people have to say, you know, do I want to have children working in slave labor in, in my community? Am I, am I OK with that? Am I okay with not having the same level of safety I used to have? I mean, does this, does this make any sense? This makes no sense whatsoever because at its basic level, I mean, I'm just a, you know, simple person here at its basic level, the government should keep criminals locked up to protect the rights of, of the citizens, right? You, you need to protect the innocent and punish the guilty. I don't know. That seems pretty simple. So it's crazy. working for the president of El Salvador. Uh, Bukele's doing a great job down there. Uh, and I think that's because he's doing such a great job. It's also, I think, forcing a lot of criminal element out of there to here. And of course, with us dumping billions of dollars into the system, we're creating a pull. So it's, uh, you know, it's it's really sad, but I hope people will Really think about it. I mean, do we really want to be a nation where people are coming in desperate hope, right, of a new life, and this is the life we're going to give them? Does that make, that just doesn't make sense. It's evil. That's all I can say. You know, evil is they, the they think They think that they're, they're, you know, open border and all this rhetoric, they think they're really helping. Yeah. And at the same time, they don't, they, they can't even acknowledge that, that their, their desire to have the border be open and to have more people come in to seek a better life is being exploited by criminals and psychopaths to abuse children at scales we can't even like grapple with. Like we're talking thousands or even tens of thousands of kids.
hundreds of thousands. Another thing too is- It's an insane, it's insane problem. Another thing people need to ask themselves as well is, do you wanna pay for that? Do you wanna continue paying for that? Because we're being taxed out the ass by the government. And do you want that money to actually go towards this stuff? Because it's helping to fund it. Even if you aren't, even if you aren't, you know, if you're, if you're poor, you're not making a lot of money, uh, you're not paying a lot of taxes, it's causing inflation. So we're getting taxed one way or the other. Like inflation is really just a, it's, it's sort of a hidden or a covert covert tax tax. because what they do is they just print money endlessly to support these programs and sign notes like IOUs and either go to China or to the future. And it inflates our money supply. So devalues the currency, and meanwhile, all the products facilitating are all these. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's, it's I just I don't know what to say about yeah, it. Other no, than it's, it's insane. We're we're living yeah. in crazy times, and like the, at, at its yeah. most basic, most basic, the government is there to protect individual liberty, yes. uh, to protect people from you know so that they have their rights are respected. Yes. And while I would love for more people from the world to be able to enjoy the liberties and the safety that we tend to have here in the United States. Um, we can't just have an open border and, and not practical and not follow up on these people. Like, right. Not humane. It's, 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 it's destroying lives. And yeah. we are being used as Americans to do it. We're and do it. and yep. silence means we're complicit. So if you, if you're hearing this story, and you know you can say la 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 i don't believe you but unfortunately right. the reality is this is happening there's enough evidence out there for you to come to that conclusion on your own oh yeah and that means you, you got to do something like yeah. we need all hands on deck this is a red alert Serious. like yes. stop my total red alert share this episode share the project veritas story you know definitely get this information out there and talk about it have personal conversations in your life too with people that you know and ask them you know do you know that this is happening yeah um, do you know that your tax dollars are paying for this what yeah do you think about that and they might not believe you at first because like we mentioned they won't <laughs> don't want to acknowledge that level of darkness yeah they definitely don't want to acknowledge that the people who are in power and are supposed to be protecting our rights and all of that stuff and you know standing up for for human dignity and and law and order all this crap are helping to facilitate that very level of crime and evil because it is evil use the word it is i think it is it's the most appropriate word to use i know some people don't like it because of the religious connotations um no that's the word it is evil it is evil it is that's that's what it is and these these are children i think i think this is the thing that people just don't understand i mean they are some of them middle schoolers well and actually if you watch the project veritas video and this is this is heartbreaking right because i've actually talked to the journalists the undercovers who were knocking on those doors and there's one little girl she she didn't know like her her age but she looks to be about five years old and she was living with older multiple older men and the undercover journalist with tears was like tara i don't know if she's been bathed in months she's like that poor little thing she said i just wanted to take her you know and this is this is what's happening why do are there all these places where there i i don't think people fully grasp that the government is sending children right multiple children 
to addresses where sometimes there's three and four sponsors living at that address and they're each sponsoring multiple kids. I mean, this is unreal. It's sus, as the children would say, suspicious. It doesn't make very suspicious. Yes. And and it's just it's unacceptable. And yeah, at the very least, you know, we should have representatives from law enforcement going to knock on these doors yep. and yes. talk to these people. Yes. And if there's any indication that the child That's hasn't been bathed yeah. in months or is emotionally distraught, they should be taking those children, you know, out of that situation yep. immediately. Yes. And making sure they don't end up in another situation. I mean, I see, like I watch that. videos on TikTok of people picking cats off the side of the road, yeah. you know, and, and treating these, these cats with more care and more dignity than our government is offering towards these trafficked children and delivering yes. them into the hands of people who would do them harm. Yeah. yeah. We already mentioned, you know, some things you can do, call lawmakers, you know, make a ruckus about this. But um, I want to ask Tara, like, what do you think are the next steps? And I guess we'll end with this. Uh, where do we go from here? How, how, how do we approach this to not only get the word out, but to make sure like some accountability is actually, you know, facilitated right. from, from our discussions and right, all the right. information well, we put out? Yeah, well, so I think that we're going to have to acknowledge that what we're looking at is government sponsored, taxpayer funded child trafficking yeah. and say, you know what? We will not tolerate that. And HHS is just going to have to confess, which no agency wants to do. No. I have lost control of my program, which is what's happened. Yeah. HHS has lost control of the unaccompanied child program. And they're going to need some way to get this thing back under control. And what that means is they cannot be sending children to unvetted sponsors. There is no child welfare organization on the planet that's going to be sending children, multiple children, to people that they've never seen their home. Right. They can't prove that they can care for the child. No relation to the child no idea how many people are living in the household. This makes no sense. Not knowing the criminal history of the person that you're giving children to. No, this, it makes absolutely no sense, which is what makes it so unbelievable yet real because anybody can look on the website. So I think it's going to involve, you know, some high level people in HHS are going to be, have to give account. Now, interestingly on December 5th, multiple senators wrote a letter to Secretary Becerra asking him to give account for these allegations. There's been no response. So, you know, it might be interesting to say, you know, to try to encourage HHS to try to give an account. So call your senators, call your representatives and say, hey, on December 5th, the secretary of HHS was asked about this and he hasn't replied. Why not? Yeah, it's been months, three months now. Yep. Where the hell is that reply? <laughs> Come on. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It almost makes it seem like they want to just sweep the whole thing under the rug. They don't want to deal with it at all. And that mm. is disheartening. It is. It's very disheartening. But there's not a rug big enough to put this mess under. Oh, yeah. This is this is big. I mean, when when the government loses control of a program, this is what can happen. Right. When there's no oversight, when there's no accountability, when this is this is what can happen. And that's why oversight 
is, is very important in federal programs, and there has to be transparency. And right now, HHS is doing things under the cover of night, and they're not being transparent, and, and we need to hold them accountable. Yeah. It reminds me almost of the situation in Ukraine, too. It's another situation where we're just throwing billions and billions of dollars at the problem with very little accountability. Yeah. And it's just we're feeding. The, and it's kind of almost dragging us closer and closer to World War Three with Russia. And it's, it's just like the administration is just like, it's fine. We'll put more money, send them tanks, give them missiles, whatever they... And it's like, where? Hello. Like, what is going... Like, there are no adults in the room. It feels like, you know... The adults in the room are like the podcast community and whistleblowers. It's like, oh, this is a big, I mean, and when that's, when, when the most serious people are like podcasters and, and whistleblowers and we're this is a, <laughs> yeah, we're in big, big trouble here. Yeah. It's like the, the, the people that are supposed to be the adults in the room are not doing their no. jobs. Well, we have to yeah. put the pressure on them. That's the only way anything's going to get done and keep talking about it. Don't yes. shut up about it. You know, take yes. an example from Tara and grow a spine. You know? Maybe now, <laughs> we haven't really had the opportunity to talk about this on the show, but, you know, Project Veritas has been going through this big brouhaha, yeah. the falling out of James yes. versus the board. Mm -hmm. You know, it seems like, a, you know, a lot of the 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 popular opinion is to side with james yes, but the nuanced opinion that nobody wants to get into is there may actually be a legitimate gripe here that james may have been misappropriating yeah. and funds you know or I, I don't even want to get too much into the details of the conflict well but this is the thing is yes. that this conflict is distracting from that's, very real stories exactly and there is wants to talk about is the story right People are more focused on the conflict between the board and James. And now... Frankly, who cares? Frankly, I mean, this is... The important stuff is the stories. It's always been the stories. Like, exactly. James goes off and does his own thing, and he's still covering good stories, and Project Veritas continues to right. do their own thing, and they're still covering important stories. The stories are what matter, and we should be caring about that. You know, yes. I see people on Twitter going after Aaron, going after you, for yeah. still saying, hey, there are good people working at Project Veritas hard workers, undercover journalists, people who helped make these stories yes. possible to bring them. Yes. It wasn't just James. People don't like to hear that. And I know James was the face. I know he started it from the ground up and none of us are saying that he didn't do that, but he built a huge team and he needed yes. that team to be able to do the level of work that was being done. And it wasn't just James doing it. There were a lot of other people involved. So yes. the stories are what matter. That's the message that I want people to hear. Right. And I, I will say, you know, I, and I posted today, I was with James on Saturday at CPAC yeah. and his new whistleblower, Debbie. And Hey, shout out to Debbie yeah, for, for calling out Pfizer. Um, but James, it wants the truth to continue to come out, right? And see, James is Project Veritas, and Project Veritas is James. It's his organization and his vision. Yeah. And there is no other James O'Keefe. I mean, he's the true <laughs> guerrilla journalist, he's right, as he calls himself. Sure. And there's no other organization that's gone out and knocked on doors. And James, because of the story, right, he cares about the stories and getting to the truth. And he's like, Tara, by whatever means necessary, right? We, you know, we need to keep looking to the future. And that's what he told me. He says, we're going to look to the future and we're going to believe for good things. And we're going to keep getting the, getting the truth out. 
And that's what we all need to focus on and, and not be, not be sidetracked. And it, I was kind of stunned to get sniped at by giving an update on child trafficking. Yeah. I think people thought I worked for Project Veritas. I'm yeah. like, no, hello, it's I'm crazy, the but, they, but that's what broke my heart so much about the situation is that, you know, look, whether or not James ever rejoins that, that remains to be seen. I don't think he will, but who knows? But the right. point is the no, people at Veritas do want to continue covering the story and the Pfizer story. They just posted about that today. And, you know, they, they reshare a video or they share a new video about this from you. And people are just like, yeah, I don't care or whatever, or we don't trust you anymore. It's like, yeah. dude, this is important information. And you're over here hung up on, on this conflict that happened within the company and not focusing on the story itself. And then calling people like you oh, a traitor and all this stuff, because I you're know. still allowing Veritas to talk about this and you're working with them. And it doesn't mean you can't work with them and work with James. Like, why do we have to even choose in a matter of these? Right. Things? It's ridiculous. Right. But what I've always said is I'm going to stand with James O'Keefe. And that's that's what I put on the video. Right. If anybody saw all of the whistleblowers say their names, th what they blew the whistle on. And I stand with James. I stand with James O'Keefe. And I'm also not going to put gasoline on it fire that comes at a very strange time on an organization that's getting the truth out there. So I'm not going to pour gasoline on that fire when I know I've sat across the table from undercover journalists in tears over what they were seeing on the ground. Uh -huh. There are some very good hearted people who work there, but just like we don't control what goes on on Capitol Hill, they don't control either. They way. don't control what's going on. That's so, another thing too I want to clarify here is like, you know, people have this whole idea about the board and of the directors and what they actually do. And, you know, I have a friend who works at Project Veritas and I can confirm to everyone, the board of directors is not involved in the day-to-day -day activities of what happens at the headquarters. They're not, that's not what they do. That's not within their realm of influence. You know, the team does that. They are determining the stories that they cover. And if they want to follow up on terror story, they're not being directed to do that. You know, if they want to follow up on the Pfizer story, which they're going to do, they're not mm -hmm. being directed to do that either. Like they right. are legitimately just, they want to cover the stories. You know, right. that, that's the point. The conflict that happened between the board and James and yeah, whether well, a few employees who had some complaints and stuff like that, Yes, but a few, there's 65 employees there. Most right. of these people were not involved in that conflict. They just want to continue to do their job. And, you know, and I see people saying, well, oh, well, if they were loyal to James, they should just walk. I'm like, look, I love James. I think he, you know, is a heroic dude, but right now he doesn't have a new thing set up. He has no means to collect money in which to pay employees. Uh, people can't just walk away from their job. You know, they have bills and families to feed and, and all that stuff. So it's a, here, it's a complicated situation and people yeah. don't want to look at the nuance of it. Yeah, New York City in the background. I just oh, no, that's okay. That's okay. But yeah, I mean, and who knows? Maybe they'll be able to come to some grand agreement in the end. But whatever it is, you know, if people want to know what my position is, I stand with James O'Keefe because James went out and he knocked on the doors and he also has the whistleblowers backs. I mean, he, he stands behind every single person who comes to him. And so he, trust me, 
when when you not only think, okay, now I'm exposing transnational criminal organizations, and I'm also concerned I might get raided by the FBI. I mean, you just you know, there's there's a lot of stress there. You have to go to somebody who you can trust, who has your back, and they're not just trying to get a story, but they're trying to help a situation. This was a nine month investigation. Yeah. Okay. Right. I don't see other news organizations, no. you know, doing that. So. I, uh, you know, I stand by James. I posted my photo with him uh, on th this morning that I took, you know, at CPAC on Saturday. And James, James is an incredible person. And I, and I believe he's going to do more incredible things in the future. Definitely. Yeah, without a doubt. He's definitely determined. <laughs> He definitely yes. cares about the world. So you hit on an interesting point there with the timing of this. I'll call yeah. it an attack on the institution of Project Veritas. Mm -hmm. Because I do think that there's some sort of coordinated whatever to, to sort of create this divisive. There's a lot of division that I've seen yeah. recently, too, it's, especially it's, among different conservative organizations that were very effective previously. We saw Daily Wire and Stephen Crowder. We saw Project yep. Veritas. Um, just across the board, there's been a lot of this division. And, uh, you know, Daniel's been very close at monitoring the uh, response on social media. A lot of mm -hmm. negative comments about Project yes. Veritas. And I can't help but suspect that a lot of it is disingenuous. A lot of it is bad faith. A lot of it is bot accounts. Or it could even be, you know, farms of people. You know, these people that have been trafficked, they could be being told, you know, that they have to tweet this, that, the third. Like, there, that happens in the uh, third world, so it could possibly happen here too. Like I said, yeah. the, the biggest issue I have with the whole thing really is the fact that it's distracting from the, the stories, the important exactly. stories. And exactly, the stories, the stories are what matters. The and drama, I, would, I mean, who cares about the drama? I mean, you're talking about <laughs> yes. institutionalized yes. child trafficking, like it's like priorities, yes. people, <laughs> priorities. Yes. And, and high-level criminal actors that have set up operations here. So I'm so glad that you're going to be talking to, you know, to Aaron, who's become a very, very great friend of, you know, mine and my husband's. And, I mean, he's, he's like my brother. It's so crazy that, you know, all of our stories have connected, right? One whistleblower gets the next whistleblower because you, you see something. And so many people, there have been people within HHS who've come, who've reached out to me. And that's pretty incredible. That is. But, so, and I, you know, I'm hoping some of those people will come forward too, because yeah. they have other data that I don't have. So hopefully, you know, more people will come, come forward, but it's the stories. And, you know, it's interesting. I try to tell people, look, we have a common goal here. And the common goal is to get the truth out to people. Mm -hmm. If people say, I don't care about child trafficking, which I can't imagine anybody saying that. Um, that's one thing, but at least people have the truth. I believe that when people hear this story and understand that they their tax dollars are trafficking vulnerable migrant children into horrific slave labor and sex trafficking and some people have said worse. Um, I, th I think people are going to stand up and say, hey, HHS, what's what's going on here? You have lost control of your program. You need to regain control of your program. And what are you going to do to, to protect these children? So th that's what I believe. And we need to remember there's a common goal. We need to get the truth out there. 
and into the public square where people can at least hear what's really happening and not fake news, you know, from the, you know, corporate media networks. Because yes. they're just so reliable over at the oh, New York so Times and CNN. And, yeah. you know, it's just like, uh, thank God for Project Veritas. I mean, it's, it's yeah. They've really, they've been doing the good work really since Wikipedia was, or not Wikipedia, WikiLeaks got sort of taken out by the the little operation against Julian Assange. He was doing sort yeah. of a similar thing on an international level and look what they did to him. Yeah. yeah. The different way he was operating. Different but definitely things, but similar. He was similar. doing like info dumps and, and dumping documents and that whole yeah. sort of thing. But yeah, it's, it's God, what a crazy time to be. In yeah. Thank you, Tara, <laughs> yeah, for deciding so to come forward, for coming well, on the show, for making your decision to leak to Project Veritas yeah. and to put your, to blow that whistle. Yep. Yeah. Because it, it really takes just, you know, normal people like you who see something, who decide, you know, this is not right. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, we need to stop this. Yep. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yep. I, get, I get tears in my eyes just thinking it's, about yeah. the situation that these kids are in. Like, it's, it's, I horrific. had uh, goosebumps a few times during this conversation. Yeah. I would uh, say yeah. Probably easily one of our most important conversations. Yeah. Well, I don't think my husband would be upset if I shared, you know, there were, there were many times because, you know, I worked six days a week and worked three weeks straight without a day off. And we were working 12, 14, 16 hours a day. So I would get to see my husband, you know, uh, sometimes on the weekend and uh, on my one day off, if I got the whole day off, which I didn't always get the whole day off. And, and we cried, you know, my husband is, he just could, he just could not believe that children from his country of El Salvador, right, were being forced into slave labor and trafficked. So it's this is a horrific thing. And if you have eyes to see the truth here, it is it 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 hurts. I mean it just does. It hurts. So I'm I'm so thankful for what you all do. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to share my story. And you know, I can't wait for people to hear Aaron's story. Yes. Because if it wasn't for Aaron, you know, he's a true hero, just like Kyle. I mean, they're they're out there to to try to protect the the rest of us. And you know, when I when I look at the sacrifice of of Kyle Serafin or or Aaron, they gave up their careers to mm -hmm. to speak the truth. And you have to say, why would somebody do that if it wasn't serious, right? So I'm very thankful to them and I, I'm thankful to you all. Thank you so much for everything Thank that you, you do, you know, to get the truth out there and you need to be safe in New York city. Uh, we, we don't <laughs> leave the apartment that often. Nah, I, mean, <laughs> I, I go out all the time. I go to the gym and stuff, but uh, you know, I definitely try to do my best to look like someone that you probably wouldn't mess with. <laughs> yes. And all that. But, but Tara, yeah. they can find you on Twitter at Tara Lee Rodas. That's correct, right? Do you yep. have a link in the description? Do you have a website? Well, um, it's under construction, so not really. It will be available at some point in the future. Uh, there is a website under construction. You will be able to find me eventually. But you know, I'm I'm new to all of this, so I don't have social media no, it's really fine. set up really yet. But but I will to your Twitter and so you, you, you can find you can find Tara in the description and I'll also put a link to your project Veritas expose yes. so people can follow up 
and your oh, nah. YouTube channel. You only got five subscribers. People, go subscribe to Tara's YouTube channel. Oh, yeah. So yeah, I kind of did that to just yeah. collect all the videos yes. together. So That's I've good. never told anybody that that even exists. But yeah, people are people are welcome to go there only because what I did was is I, you know, I put all the videos that I was able to find. That was kind of my research little site. But yeah, so people can go there too. That's true. I forgot about that. Yeah, well, I saw the link on your Twitter and I'm just like, come on, we need to, we need to get some traction on this thing. So yes, yes. So if you go to playlists, if you click on playlists for people, um, those are videos that people can go and look at. So that's where I was kind of collecting all the videos. And that includes um, the front line that video that shows the child good. trafficking all the way back in 2014 oh, so yeah really good yeah totally that's a good resource yeah so I'm if gonna, anyone wants to learn more about this topic and have some links to share with other people perhaps that you are talking to about it go to stop taxpayer funded child trafficking on youtube and share some of that content go support tara and thank you again, Tara, for speaking with us. We really appreciate it. And yeah. thanks for being brave and for, for doing what you're doing. Like, I seriously commend you. Like, it takes a lot, you know, a lot of guts. Well, thanks. Once you look into those little faces, it didn't seem courageous. It just seemed like the right thing to do. Right thing so, to do. Yeah. but thank you guys so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. No problem. Yeah. Stay safe. Stay yep. safe, fam. Don't forget to like, comment, subscribe, make clips, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Yes. Bye.